Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. Today, I've got someone that uh, has been very kind enough to be bullied into this by a comic book inker, John Saval. So I have to say a big shout out and thanks to John for getting uh, Hansel Etch, and this is, I had it all down at pack. Hansel to get this right. <laughs> and now I try and say it, and now I butchered everything, and I'm the worst person, but it's easier for me to say Mr. Lean Custom. So Hansel, thank you so much for, for yeah, volunteering no with your arms behind your back, up against the water to, to sit down with me and have a conversation. So with that being the case, Hansel, um, can we just talk about sort of how you sort of came to be your path into sort of graphic design and that sort of thing? How did that sort of come about for you in particular? Uh, yeah, so as as far as uh, vector art and like, you know, graphic designing, it kind of just started like earlier in, you know, I guess my my childhood life when I was doing, um, you know, anywhere from, you know, drawing cartoons to just being very heavily involved with graffiti art. And basically anything that involved art in itself, um, I know as far as uh, uh, graphic work, it didn't really kick off till uh, I want to say like in the uh, like early 2000s, maybe no, like 2010. And was that, that sort of, yeah? Did you end up going to school then for for graphic work, or was that design or anything like that, or was it just you? like sort of breaking out on your own with your natural talent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, pretty much everything has been self-taught when it comes to graphic art. Uh, I remember a good friend of mine, Jesus, actually was the first one to give me a desktop computer. And he was really pushing on like, dude, you need to get on Illustrator. You need to get on Illustrator. And this is when like everybody was like making fake copies of Adobe Illustrator and, you know, having those burner uh, accounts and downloads. So um, he gave me, uh, I remember he gave me this big old block computer and, you know, downloaded the software for me and, and it kind of just kicked off from there. Cause I, I think at that time I remember I was kind of more about like being that type of, um, artist that, that was kind of against the whole technology of things shifting that way of, you know, graphics, you know, I was still pretty old school with, uh, pen and pencils. Of course, and obviously the statute of limitations we think is cleared. So let's be let's clarify this. Obviously, all the software you use now, you've got all the licensing and all the correct agreements in place. Definitely, right, Hansel? Yes, of course. Yeah, now it's up, and it's definitely something that I recommend for everyone. Like, just get Adobe Creative Cloud. Like, that's the best bang for your buck. You know, you have a multiple tools at your disposal, whether it's Photoshop, Illustrator, Adobe Effects, or whatever you want to do. Um, I think it's just such a great tool. So that's definitely one of the things that. You know, as I kept learning, you know, obviously with Adobe as well, like they just kept like relaunching new softwares and updates. And obviously at one point I was like, okay, I have to, like, I can't be using like the old, you know, software that I've been having for years. Like I got to get it on this program and, you know, just kind of keep that going. And uh, look, when we all become businesses and so forth, you can sort of write it off on taxes. So it doesn't make it quite as bad. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Right. So when did you start sort of then making the, when was it the move when you sort of were able to sort of like sell or sell yourself with your design work and your graphic design work? When did that sort of come about? Uh, that's a very good question. Yeah, so I basically, I, I picked up a lot of, as I kept progressing in doing a lot of uh, graphic art, I kind of labeled myself as a freelancer, right? So I was working in between jobs here and there. Um, and picking up 
uh, freelance gigs, you know, whether it's my friend that needed some logo design or a friend of a friend that needed some sort of, you know, design work. Um, I started kind of pitching myself as this freelance artist. Um, and I think that's kind of what helped me kind of gain a spectrum of business as far as how to market yourself and how to brand stuff. And that's kind of how things started kicking off, you know, little, little projects, nothing, you know, big or whatever. But I think that's obviously how it all started. Yeah, I guess it's always the case, right? Where you start with a few things and then it's kind of like the, the snowball, like rolling downhill and then hopefully you get enough momentum so you can sort of run with it as opposed to it getting so big that it's chasing you downhill and you've got no time for anything else at all, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then so um, as far as I, you can obviously sort of fill in the gaps here, but I understand that you came sort of from the cycling world before you became famous more so for like being Mr. Lean Customs. Is that correct? <laughs> uh yeah actually so yeah exactly that right so in between jobs i became you know i was marketing myself as a freelance artist you know picking up gigs here and there and one of those freelance gigs um at back in the days or back in those days uh you know i was heavy into the cycling culture here in la and i would want to say like more of the underground culture um stuff that wasn't happening that was really mainstream but a lot of these brands were up and coming and they were available and some of those needed some sort of, um, you know, work, whether it was um, graphic design or, or videos and stuff like that. And a buddy of mine that I was working with, um, he actually was running uh, like this uh, agency, I guess you can call it, um, where we kind of link up with different brands and help them kind of curate whatever they needed. Um, and in that time, I we did a job for this brand called Stone Cycles and it, it, it was one of those things that was kind of like a, like an opening door and it kind of, they needed, they needed help. I was there. I wanted something more full time. As, as many freelancers know, you know, there's going to be a lot of downtime. So I wanted something a little bit more stable. So um, that's kind of how I got into the more of the business side, business side of the cycling industry, being able to come in as a creative director for the company and kind of making making it big and making it what it is now. And so, what, as the sort of the net creative role, then what was sort of your task that you were sort of spending your time doing, shall we say? I'm sorry, I don't know if you can hear those helicopters. <laughs> we're here in beautiful sunny LA, where the helicopters pass every hour. If, if they're going past every <laughs> hour, I think you're doing very well. Usually, where I am in Hollywood, it's like every five ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. Can you repeat your question? Uh, no, I was going to say, so what was it sort of the, that was on your plate in that role as the creative person in that company? What was it that you were like uh, tasked with doing or your focus? Yeah, so it was, it was pretty much, I labeled myself as a creative director um, because I literally oversaw everything that had to do with any creative, uh, you know, process of that brand from uh, mock-ups of bicycles and designs and graphic design crew. Uh, creating and rebranding the logos, um, you know, doing uh, uh, catalogs and uh, and flyers and taking over the marketing for social media. You know, that's when social media was coming up, and yep. you know, running running all the Instagrams and Facebooks and finding alternative ways to do uh, video campaigns with YouTube and stuff like that. So pretty much, I oversaw everything that had to do with that, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons why. When I started the project of Lean Customs of what it is now, like I already had 
a lot of branding experience and what work, what doesn't work, what's a good way to do promotions and, and run certain things. And I think that kind of was a huge stepping stone for me when I decided to do this, that I was able, I already had a lot of experience, I would say, um, on creating brands from, you know, scratch, if you could say. And so with that then, so how did the idea of Link Customs come about then? I mean, I know obviously it started with a single sort of a Subaru pen, I think, if I remember correctly. But then so how did that sort of expand from there or what was the initial concept? Uh, yeah, that's actually a really good question. So the initial concept was um, I was still working at uh, Throne Cycles. Uh, I was still working my, my salary job and all that. Um, and Lean basically was... Uh, is me, right? Uh, it's my, uh, was my graffiti name. What, um, and the way that I saw as far as putting those two together was that at that time I was doing pretty much, uh, I, how do I explain it? Like I was doing custom work, right? So the way that I thought, I'm like, I'm still an artist. I'm still, even though I'm here doing creative work for this company, I still try and I still was liking to do other type of projects that involved whether it was me painting bicycles or me painting this or you know painting canvases or whatever. Like it was just my custom work. So when I started looking into doing lapel pins, it was kind of just a branch off of that. You know, it was like, oh well, here's another item that I it's with my art that I can sell. But it was never really started with just cars. So it's funny because in my first pin designs that I made in the back of the backing card of the actual packaging it says rumble series because the objective that I thought at that time was like well I want to create all sorts of pins whether it's mashed up pins of like your favorite cartoons or uh, nostalgia or whatever um, plus doing some cool pins of cars that my buddy owns or that are, you know, big influences of why I like the car culture, right? So it was kind of like, I was thinking, like, it'd be cool to just make everything into a pin. Um, yeah. So I, I thought it would be cool to make different uh, series, right? Like have, like, a cartoon series or a mashup series and stuff like that, you know? Um, and I, for some reason, the car culture was missing this piece that I didn't really, really realize till I started getting, getting more heavily involved in the culture. So, so were you much something. involved in the culture beforehand or was it just sort of a passing interest, would you say, at that time? Yeah, that, it definitely wasn't. Uh, it was. I wasn't huge. Uh, I wasn't very committed as to who I am now because, again, at that time, cycling industry, the cycling culture is still part of my life. Like I'm, you know, riding bikes almost every day. I'm, you know, hosting events, um, going to events, traveling all over the nation to other cities to you know i was managing a cycling team so we'd travel to different cities to go uh you know race and you know being competitive uh, uh fields and stuff like that so you know that whole um you know community or or culture was was obviously more dominant than you know me and my cars that i used to have you know um yeah so exactly that you know it, it was kind of secondary or even you know lower than that just because I wasn't so heavily involved. But then when I started doing more car designs and, you know, my buddy has a cool car and then his buddy has a cool car and it's like I'm doing more graphics for them. And then I started attending some shows, you know, you start sending, obviously not now, but like, you know, you talk about three, four years ago, um, you know, where I'm attending these shows and I'm realizing like, wow, this is a really cool uh, 
you know, interesting format of doing things. You know, it kind of correlates to what I'm doing already. But it, if it's one thing that I noticed is that there wasn't an artistic, like something different. I mean, I wouldn't say it wasn't artistic, but there wasn't something that was different from what everything else was going on. And I saw a lot of the brands that were doing pop-ups or, or being in that culture, like, you know, having pop-up tents for selling the merchandise. It all followed the same pattern. Like they have a brand, they have shirts, they have stickers, they have, you know, uh, it's kind of related to one another. So for me, I wanted to create something that was going to be completely different from that. And so, how did the concept of the idea of doing the pins come about? Then, based on that, uh, I, at that time, uh, I was I was going to events like ConfliftCon, DesignerCon, which was a huge influence. Um, and I, I started noticing a lot of brands just doing lapel pins, you know, whether it's their brand logo, doing designs that match the T-shirt or whatever. Um, it's I started seeing the popularity. And obviously, I knew that yeah, there was what way more than what I'm seeing. So I started doing research. You know, I came across uh, an event I get to put on called the Patches and Pen Expo. Um, so I even popped into that one, one of their first events, you know, just to kind of check out the vibe. Like, wow, there's all these cool artists and all they do is just make pins and they sell their art, whether it's, you know, um, you know, like that, again, mashups or they're literally their own artistic way of creating like abstract art into pins. And I started seeing this kind of trend come up um, of lapel pins. And I, again, I'm doing graphic design here, like small little things. And I realized like, oh, it might be cool to introduce something that's different to the call to the car culture that involves an artist putting their art in, in certain ways. I remember even having a conversation with one of my friends. I'm like, what about if I started painting on on people's hoods? You know, like would that be something cool? <laughs> like <laughs> making custom dashboards or something? Yep. Because again, my I thing think- was about creating uh, art and the car culture, you know, colliding together. Yeah. And now, for a simple person, I have a question. What's, because I would consider, for example, or what you make being English as uh, your pins or as a badge for me. But I understand, obviously, in doing my little thumbnail piece of research, there's a very big difference between what a pin is versus what a badge is. So are you able to sort of explain it correctly, one might say, as to what the difference between Mm. the two is? Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I think it's just, I, I don't think there's a huge difference, personally. Um, that's definitely something that I have to look into because uh, I have, exactly, I think depending on where you're at, they're called differently. Like, I've had people like, oh, those are really cool badges. Um, and even though they're talking about my car and lapel pins, and then obviously other people call them lapel pins, you know, just because of what they are. Um, so that's that's an interesting thing. For me, personally, I would think, of if if I'm comparing my art, which is the lapel pin, compared to a badge, I would assume a badge is more like, um, you know, it has its own structure of like it's either a circular thing, it's either like a police badge, you know, and that type of shape, you know, with diamond, you know, hexagon, no shape, where it doesn't yeah. have much of an artistic approach to it. I personally okay. think. No, which is very makes it very fair, and I can understand. I know that my my father has been collecting what you would describe as pins um, since the late uh, from the 1970s for his Speedway team in England, which is obviously was a big. They were big proponents of of pins, which we would obviously he would call badges. But um, it's great to see that uh, 
that that sort of technology. I mean, obviously they're they're metal, correct? How are they? How are correct, they sort yeah. of composed or, or built together? I mean, what's the combination of pieces that sort of come together to make a, a completed pin? Oh, I can't sell all my secrets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, so and that's actually very interesting you bring that up because I I have a few vintage pins um, or badges, however you want to call them, and and I've noticed that they're a little bit different from how they're making them now. Um, and I wonder if it's because uh, the type of metal or material they're using, because I'm guessing some of those pins that you have now are also metal, correct? Correct, yes. Yeah, so, and the ones that I make, same thing, they're metal, and they're, they're usually, I either use two elements, which is either going to be uh, full iron uh, metal, or they're going to be alloy, you know, composed of different uh, aluminum materials or, uh, or metal materials. Um, usually for the alloy stuff, it's basically... Um, it's, uh, you know, you, you create, you, uh, the way that my manufacturer works is, and I'm sure most manufacturers work, they, they create a mold, they see it, they stamp it out, and then they fill it with, uh, depending on the process that you're going with, uh, they'll fill it with enamel paint, uh, you know, bake it, make sure that the, the, the paint's not going to come off easily and all that stuff. And, you know, there's different processes that I've been experimenting with, uh, which kind of allows me, and, and that's the beauty of, of about it, that I'm the artist, so I take full control of how I want this pin to be finished, you know, how I want it to be finalized. And I think that's what sets my work apart from all these other uh, pop-ups that have started to come up, all these other, like, brands that have started to come up that, you know, either get influenced by me or decided to be a cool idea to create some of the stuff, is that a lot of these people aren't artists. So as far as my end, I'm able to take full control of what exactly I want when it comes to the amount of detail I want to be shown on that you know you know pin and the way i see it it's it's a small little canvas you know it's a little one one inch and a half canvas um so i'm able to know exactly what type of material i want what type of process i'm going to be doing whether it's a soft enamel or a hard enamel or you know they would want epoxy no epoxy you know printing all that stuff yeah i mean it's it's incredible the level of the uh, amount of design work and detail you can put into your pins. I mean, it's truly, uh, I mean, it blows my mind, honestly, of how much detail you can really get down to in such a small piece of metal and, and enamel that you're working with. Yeah, no, I, and I, sometimes I surprise myself too, just because I try to push the boundaries, right? Like I try to kind of, I figure something out and I'll be like, okay, well, what about if I approach, if I approach it differently, you know, if I try to, you know, use what is available to create a design where it makes sense, you know. Um, for me, you know, like a lot of people, and a lot, of, and I get it, right. A lot of people are like, oh, well, you're just, you know, it's just a, you know, you're tracing a car or something, and, you know, and they don't realize that there's more thought being put into than just lines, because anybody can just give people somebody lines and they're going to create a mold out of it. But it's about finding exactly the amount of space that you're able to fill in to make sure that you know you can see the headlights or you can see the tail lights or you know, where the blinkers would be at, you know, stuff like that, where it would give the final design a little bit more of a detail. Yeah, and so so with that, I mean, how long would you say a process, for example, takes where you get an idea, carrying that idea through the design process, to then, for example, get sent off to be like either, say, manufactured or a one-off being meant? So what sort of time frame are we talking about in regards to that give or take, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so, I mean, the design aspect, as far as uh, me creating the final design, uh, that varies, you know. 
Um, usually it can be done within the day, you know, a couple, a few hours for sure. Um, it just depends on how complex the design is going to be. Um, a good example would be there's this one that I just finished that's going to be dropping pretty soon, um, which is an RWB uh, Porsche build, which has an anime uh, wrap on the actual car. So, you know, it's full, fully wrapped, a bunch of colors, um, really cool design to it. And <clears throat> the process for that took a longer designing because we had to shrink the art. And not only that, but we had to minimize it. So basically find what the fundamental uh, arts that are going to be popping out, or I'm sorry, colors would be popping, would be more significant than others. So it's removing, you know, basically simplifying the art as much as possible without losing its actual detail or losing its actual look of the final design. Um, so, you know, compare that to just me doing a regular, uh, you know, uh, Subaru, um, it, 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 there's a significant amount of time that makes. Um, as far as production time, uh, exactly, you know, they, they usually go from, you know, anywhere from four to six weeks. Um, usually, depending on the design, I like to request samples first just because I want to make sure that whatever I put out there is 100% that it's, you know, being, you know, thought out. Like, I, I've seen, I've, I've made some, and I've seen other works sometimes that I'm like, why would you even do that? Like, you know, like. <laughs> of course, yeah, I can imagine there'd be somewhere. And even, I, I mean, obviously, yours are 100% perfect all the time, but there's somewhere that you come back and be like, you know what, I, this could, I could do this a little bit better. And so it certainly helped to have those, yeah, like, samples ahead of time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with that being said, though, I mean, you obviously must have thought that there was like kind of a market for this. And then it seems like you've found a very uh, good model of being able to sort of uh, I like to consider it like the Ferrari model, whereas if they think there's 500 people out there, you make 499. So you're creating demand. Is that something sort of similar <laughs> that you sort of looked at that kind of way? Uh, yes and no. So I didn't really grasp that there was something going on. So about maybe a year in or a few months in, you know, like seven, eight months. Um, when I started seeing more of the demand there, like people wanting more designs, more different cars. Um, not only that, people requesting like their customs, like, yo, I have a really cool car. Can you make a pin of my car? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and my thing, um, again, being part of like whole, you know, being a designer con and seeing the whole, uh, collectors kind of mentality. I obviously wanted to offer that same thing, like let's make collectors items. And and it's funny that you mentioned that because back then I was making batches of like 50 limited edition, 100 limited edition. And at at that time I'm thinking, wow, 50 or 100, that's a lot, you know. I'd be lucky yeah. if I sell all of these. And they'll sell, you know, they'll take you know a few weeks or whatever. Um, to completely sell out of my, my, my batch and I'll be like, all right, awesome. On to the next design. Um, but now it's like, now I'm pushing like 500, a thousand of that same units and they're, they're selling, some of them are selling out quick. Some of, some of them sell out in minutes, you know? Um, so it, it kind of brings me back to like, I had to kind of increase that, uh, quote unquote, like limited edition just so I know there's still a dim, like, how do I make it? Like, I wanted more people to enjoy my art, be able to collect my art, 
uh, and not just still kind of keep it to 100 or, you know, 50 pieces. I wanted to make sure that there was enough that there was, that people can grab, but also not enough that people would miss out, you know? <laughs> if that yeah. And, and I guess leading into that, I suppose that obviously when you create demand, the, the miracle of the world sort of figures out a way of how to try and beat that system. So we have to obviously deal with things like bots and that nowadays that be able to sort of beat people to the punch. How do you sort of deal with things like that? Do you have to account for that now when you're creating these sort of limited demand batches and that kind of thing? How does that sort of work? You know, that actually opened up like a whole different spectrum as far as like the market that I'm that I'm uh, technically creating when it comes to these pens, you know. Um, you, you see what's going on right now and with the whole uh, GameStop stocks, you know, and it's, yep. people are just buying them like crazy. Um, there was a point in time last year, and I'm not sure if it's because of, you know, obviously last year with the whole pandemic and, um, you know, everybody, you know, out of a job, not only that, getting that extra income from the government, like everyone had that extra money to spend. Um, and I felt like there was a huge wave of, of resellers, you know, everybody yeah. was trying to find what's the next item, what's the next item that we can profit, you know? And a lot of these resellers, once I, once I got hit, I kind of started kind of digging more into it. Like they don't care what it is. They just want to know if they're, if item A is going to turn profit into make, you know, an X amount based on whatever they just spent. So, yeah. um, obviously seeing that if you go on eBay and till this day now, I mean, yesterday alone, this user, um, sold maybe like 20 pieces from his collection, made like $8,000 from my items. Like it's, it's nuts. It's ridiculous. Um, but it keeps that demand going high. And I think because of that, then you have people that are resellers that do go after heavily marked items with bots, you know, which are the automated softwares like targeting Nike, targeting Adidas. And then they, they see my, my items on, on, on my, you know, social media and they go like, Oh, well, this only costs 20 bucks or 30 bucks. Like, and they resell for $400. Oh, for sure. I'll get in on it. You know, and obviously for them, it's, not just about grabbing one it's about grabbing as many as possible so yeah. the first time i got hit with a bot it was pretty nuts because it went it went within seconds all items sold out and you had multiple uh buyers buying like 10 at a time you know so it definitely yeah, I'm messed assuming, with the whole way i was going to say i'm assuming that obviously you have a bit of access to understand who and you see who's buying them and so if you see like someone's email address popping up several times or a derivative of that several times you've like can probably put one and two one and one together pretty quickly to come out with two right yeah so that's exactly what the more tedious part of everything was when the good example was that when i got hit with bots the first time is my website wasn't ready for that so obviously um you know you get hit you get a customer that bought 10 even though it's limited it's limited to one per customer but like you know their names change between like one letter their addresses you know are missing like it's just little things like that right like instead of like their names changing all you know alternating their names by just a little bit they alternate their address by a little bit and they got even to a point that they'll use their same name but it'd be different credit cards that are being paid with and different yep. IP addresses that it's linked to. And the good thing about Shopify is that it gives you very good 
uh, analytics gives you good insight on your customers, on where they're coming from, how much are they're spending, what they're paying with, whether it's PayPal, Apple Pay, credit card, whatever. Um, so you're able, like, if you have the time to kind of go through each account, figure out what they're spending, how they're spending it, and then you kind of start putting two and two together, right? So that's kind of what the most tedious part about when I got attacked because I had to refund all the orders. And then you start noticing, like, oh, well, this is the same person, but they just, you know, and then obviously you kind of like talking to some people, then you kind of realize, like, that the internet world is savage, you know? Like, you can create different multiple fake proxies and the IP addresses linked to only one, you know, account and have burner credit card accounts, you know, and stuff like that. So you start realizing, like, these people are obviously that's, that's their market. Like, that's just how they become, this is their money, you know, reselling. Yep. So, I mean, I guess also that sort of puts you as like a, a is it a one man shop? And so you're kind of obviously you're the designer. You're probably guessing you're the detective who has to figure these out. You're the bank, you're the accountant. You're also, I'm guessing, in regards <laughs> to the, the, the warehouse guy. I mean, you're all a one man shop. What was the, when you started, made the switch over, how much of a leap was it to get into that and know that this was the where you were going to go and this was the sort of things you're going to take on? I mean, it must, it can't have been easy at that time when you're thinking back on it now. Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that's that's a very good, uh, you know, what you just said is actually very interesting because that's at that time I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I'm just thinking, oh man, there's there's I I I can make money. I can you know just keep pushing this and and make this my earnings, you know. And and for me, um, it it was just more freedom, right? Like it's there's a difference between. Um, working a salary job and and working on something that's not fully yours. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I still love the brand that I I kind of helped curate. I I brought it up to where it's at now. Um, you know, and I can take full responsibility of everything that was that has been accomplished through that brand. So oh, I'm sorry, yeah. So you know, um, I I I take full responsibility of creating like this you know epic brand. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it wasn't my brand. You know, and that's kind of what kind of just motivated me to, I think if I, you know, quit this, give my full attention to this project slash brand that I'm, I'm already, you know, I think at that time I was already like seven months in, um, you know, I think I can kind of create something even more epic and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And so from that, what would you say that some of the takeaways that you've learned? I mean, obviously you've learned far more than you ever wanted to know about bots and about resellers. But what are some of the other things that you've sort of taken on board that you were not like well not aware like well out of your working knowledge before coming on board and being so successful with lean customs? Um, I mean, just it's 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 hard work, you know. I think that's what it comes down to. Like, it's a lot of work. Like, a lot of people think that it's easy. A lot of people think that you know a lot. I feel like a lot of people will see just all the positive, they will see all the achievements and everything that's been accomplished, but they don't see all the, you know, hard work, long nights, sleepless nights, you know, that gets put into this, um, and, you know, financial stuff, making sure, you know, inventory is there, making sure um, supplies are there, you know, one of the things is that, you know, like, I would, I'd be like, oh, I'm cool, I just made a an order for, you know, let's just say, bubble mailers to ship out these products. 
And I'm thinking I have enough, but then next, you know, a, a drop happens and there's way more orders that I anticipated. And now it's about rushing, trying to get more stuff, get more labels out. And, you know, it's definitely about having a, a good team behind you. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I learned from that. You know, um, luckily now I'm in a position where, you know, I do have a small team that helps me manage all the fulfillment services and stuff like that. But everything else is pretty much exactly that still a one-man show i still got to do all my financial stuff on myself obviously design is something that i take pride in so i definitely have to do all the art that's behind it all the public relations trying to close deals trying to get new clients and pitch the product you know yeah and on the fulfillment side i mean i'm guessing you probably still uh turn up at the warehouse occasionally to try and help the guys ship them out and move them and stuff like that would that be fair to say yeah yeah no i'm still there uh all the time uh you know just uh i try to get hands-on as much as I can, um, whether it's, you know, packing boxes or shipping out some of these bigger orders and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm still there. Um, the team is still small. We're still growing. I feel like now is the year that I'm going to see a little bit more growth when it comes to more of a structural team, because that's the objective this year, um, to mm -hmm. just kind of keep pushing, keep growing, and make it even bigger than what it was last year. And though, so with that, I mean, obviously you've got some great you make some fantastic work of your own, but you obviously work with several partners over time. Who are some of the partners that you've had the chance to work with and you've really enjoyed working with over this time since you've been creating these pins? Uh, yeah, there's definitely a huge list. Well, I mean, Toyo Tires was one of the first brands that gave me the huge opportunity to kind of get my product out there in the market. I mean, they gave me the, the you know, I would say the biggest opportunity with taking my product to SEMA. I think that in itself was really huge. Um, you know, Maguire's has been great, Hoonigan's, um, I got to work with Subaru Motorsports, which is pretty awesome, and hoping that we can create something this year as well. Um, another good partner has been Tarmac Works, which is pretty pretty cool. I like their stuff. They're diecast if you guys are into that kind of stuff. Um, there's definitely a huge list for sure. And then uh, sort of how, how do these sort of like collaborations that you're able to pull it off, how do they sort of come about? Is it sort of you reaching out to them or them reaching out to you or sort of like, just networking and that kind of thing. What's the sort of process where these all things happen and come together in this magical world? Yeah, I think it's all about it's all of the above for sure. I mean, everything that has come forward has been through networking. It's either me, you know, taking the shot where it's like I reach out. Um, other collaborations. A good example was like the recent Liberty Walk that was done mm -hmm. through networking. Um, the good people at Tarmac Works plugged me in with the owner from Liberty Walk and, you know, kind of pitched them the idea. They were on board, um, you know, and stuff like that. I have a, another project that's going to be hopefully dropping later this year, which I'm super excited about. I can't really talk much about it, but, like, you know, stuff like that. It's just networking, like, they know. And then that's what I, I feel like my product there is. My product is out there now that people recognize it. They 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 know the value, and, and I think, you know, they see it and they want, they want in. And, you know, and the way I see it, it's like, hey, man, if you got something good to offer, I'm game. Like, I remember, like, even, do like, I, I offer custom work, which is basically, like, hey, if you have a cool car, like, you know, I'll pin it. There's a rate. And the first few months, it was definitely me just reaching out to everybody and be like, hey, you got a dope car. Let's work. You know, let's, let, let's, get, some, let's get some stuff going. I think we can create a cool product. And there was a lot of more declines then there were people that were actually down to you know help me you know you can say invest in my brand and it's yep. funny because now those same people that decline me 
are hitting me up and like, hey, dude, let's make some pins. And I'm like, dude, you were the first, you were one of the first people I reached out to, like, you know? So, so yeah, it's do that now. Yeah, I can imagine there'd be a swift turnaround and you're like shaking your head. You're like, you know, dude, if you're only come in like X amount of time ago, you would have been all over this. But now you're at the back of the line, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so sure. with, that, with that, though, and I'm going to be cheeky here and obviously ask, I mean, is there any of the projects that you can talk about that you that are going to be coming up in the first, like soon or should we say in 2021 that you can talk about before? I don't want to like ruin anything for everyone. <laughs> uh yeah let me see let me uh let me look into this calendar real quick i know i have some cool stuff coming um let me see well i i i kind of did a small leak real quick um so i have a new project with rap legends coming up um real cool dudes up in anaheim and it's in collaboration with another dude that's pretty well known i can't really say the name of it yet but um they can know that it's the rap legend so that's gonna be pretty cool to look out for. And then let me see this other one that I have. Um I have a cool collaboration coming with uh, a pro BMX writer by Coco. He's gonna yep. be pretty cool. Um so yeah, there's a, those are a few ones that are gonna be like quarter one, quarter two. Um but yeah, I, I think quarter three and quarter four are gonna be this year they're gonna be pretty nuts. Look, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But, I mean, really, did you ever think when you sort of, after you made the leap, did you ever think it was going to be this crazy or this nuts to how, how far it's you've gone down this rabbit hole of creating this oh, whole, not at all. Essentially this unique world that you've sort of, you're the father of now? Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, again, for me, it was just a fun project. Like, I was like, hey, for me, and that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Like, I saw this at, like, it's just another project it's just me doing my art in different form you know I, I went from designing uh you know sort of like a streetwear brand designing you know cycling wear bikes um painting canvases and you know vinyl figures and you know that was that was it oh let me just design some pins you know like on to the next and the fact that i kind of stuck there and created this whole world where now multiple brands are popping up and inspired by my work and that's they're that's what they're telling me right like oh dude you inspired me i wanted to make my own pins you know cool well, the more the merrier but then there's some that like literally cross the line that they're like tracing line for line and you know calling my art their art and see nothing wrong with it and stuff like that so uh you know it goes both ways but yeah it's it's such a yeah it's like I don't know, like I'm speechless when it comes to stuff like that because I'm like, whoa, I didn't never thought I was going to create such a monster, you can say. So with that being the case in Hansel, if anyone's going to try and find this monster lean custom, where's the best place to sort of track you down? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, unfortunately, with this last year, things kind of got on a huge pause as far as like pop-up events and kind of like me checking out like you know doing either hosting pop-up events or being at somebody's mainstream events um best way right now is just all through the virtual platforms which is you know social media instagram the website link up i'm hoping that 2021 uh starts turning around and some of the events starts coming back because if it's one thing about last year is definitely the interaction with some of these cool fans some of these cool collectors and kind of being able to talk to them seeing what they bring out uh, I mean, that, that type of experience and that type of, uh, you know, 
interaction is always uh, good, I think, for the brand and for myself and trying to, you know, kind of, you know, put a face to what the brand is. Yeah, I was going to say, before we sort of sort of like wrap this up, I mean, there must be some super fans out there that you've probably met along the time that have been with you since almost, well, probably day one. I mean, you must have a good, real close-knit community of those those ones that you sort of will know, right? Yeah, they're called the Lean Cult. <laughs> And then, I mean, so, I mean, you obviously now you're a leader of a cult to some extent as well as this creating this monster. I mean, wow, you, you've really got so many things that you're balanced and juggling at this time, Hans. I mean, I, how do you do it? Um, uh, I don't know, man. I think uh, I, I have I have a lot of support. I have a lot of support from my, from my friends, from my family. Um, You know, it keeps me sane, keeps me going. Uh, I, I love to see the drive. I love to see the the collections and what some of these collectors do to kind of grow their stuff. And, you know, even to the point that now some of them are cut, like quote unquote customizing the pins, like they'll color fill their own type of, you know, paint uh, schemes and different stuff. Like, so it's, it's, I don't know. I just feel like overall everything around what's, what's going on from the support of not just family and friends, but the support of indi individuals that, go to the website and purchase these, the collectors that have, you know, a wall full of pins, a backpack full of pins, or they're only after all the, you know, a, you know, certain style of pins. Like I think all that around just kind of keeps it going and keeps me just motivated to keep pushing and, and you know, just go full speed ahead. Yeah. I mean, that must be certainly a unique way to look at it as well as you're obviously creating your, this is your work of art. And then someone, if for example, they modifying it or they maybe even make something out of it, they're able to, because obviously people are going to post art that you've created that then they create their own art with on social media or anywhere else. So it must be an interesting headspace where you go, where people are taking your art and creating more art with it down the line. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just saw one, some dude like make these little, he painted his own little canvases for the pins, I thought it was pretty awesome. You know, stuff like that, it's just, you know, it inspires me to kind of just keep going. And I know there's a huge support uh, behind me, which kind of obviously helps with everything that's going on. Yeah, I mean, Hansel, it's, it's such a, it's it's so fantastic. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I've been very lucky that I've been able to get a few of the pins myself, so I feel myself blessed in that regard. Um, but I mean, everyone really should go and look at your art. It's it's truly incredible. It's really, I mean, obviously, well, we can't really go out and do much in these times, so you've got to go and figure these things out. So, Hansel, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and thank you again thank so you, much for you, making the course. time. And everyone, no look, thank you. you've got to you've got to go follow uh, Lean Customs online, and then just go in there and push those bots out of the way to make sure when he's making those drops. I mean, that's the important thing. But, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely uh, do that. Yeah, follow follow Lean Customs on Instagram. That probably is the best way to kind of be up to date on what's upcoming next and you know what you know what's hot. Yeah, because obviously the, the the next hottest thing is going to be those next drops. I'm just really excited for the second half of this 2021 <laughs> when you're going to be pulling together. Yeah, I'm excited there's, too. There's a, there's a lot of work probably going on right now at this time in regards to what's going to be happening at that end of the end of the year. Yeah, man. Right now, it's just uh, just kind of setting up the pieces to have a very productive year, and I think that's the ultimate goal. And uh, yeah, so with that, everyone, I'd like you to thank you so much for listening. As always, tell your friends about the No Breaking podcast. Subscribe them. Uh, make them leave very positive reviews so my uh, mom can say and the nice things that you write about the podcast. 
Uh, my dad, I know, is going to be very interested in trying to get some more of the wonderful Lean Custom Pen. So I might have to hook you, uh, have a quick word to you, Hansel, on the slide to see what we can do there. But other than that, as always, thank you, everyone, as always, for listening. Everyone have a great time. We'll be in touch next time. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye.